there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Tell it to me straight up. Hello, and welcome into the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast, proudly part of the Hill Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith, your frantically getting things done before vacation friend. Uh, today, I am joined by Notre Dame staff writer for On3, Ashton Pollard. Ashton, thank you for being on the show. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. How are you? I'm well, he said, frantically running around. Um, I, I think I, I've written somewhere north of 2,000 words um, as the time today, this morning, as the, as the time of wow. kind of recording this. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. It's always for the, the fun peek behind the scenes of how this goes when I actually get to go on vacation. Um, for those of you listening and that like read my stuff on hillvarsity.com, um, that stuff gets pre written, right? Like that's to get done. Like I will not be working uh once we hit vacation Wednesday morning for a 5 50 a.m flight that I forgot was that early um so we'll see <laughs> it's worth, we'll, worth it yeah it'll, it'll be worth it but right now I'm dreading it um but but it'll be worth it once once we get there right yep absolutely all right, now we'll launch in here. Now, each week we have a couple of segments that are mainstays of the show. The first one is called Coach Speak, uh, where we go over something that a coach, player, or talking head said, and then we give you the straight-up breakdown of what they meant. Coach Speak to Real Talk. Uh, this week comes courtesy, and I can't even get it out without laughing. It comes courtesy of Texas A&M coach Jimbo Fisher, um, who had a lot to say, so I'm paring this down, but, but this was the crux of what he had to say. Quote, uh, to have coaches in our league across this league say it, uh, they're clown acts. It's irresponsible as hell. Multiple coaches in our league and the guys griping about NIL and the transfer portal are the ones using it most and bragging about it the most. The ironic part, it's a joke. It does piss me off. I'll tell you what, I know I, I, I know how some of those guys recruit too. Go dig into that. I know the history. I know the tradition. I know things. Trust me, you do not want to go down that avenue. That's a lot. Ashton, what did he mean by that? Let's break that down. Sure. So I think what he was trying to say was he was very frustrated because Texas A&M signed uh, what a lot of recruiting sites are calling the most highly rated recruiting class of all time. And there is a rumor that is circulating that was um, started on a a website called Bro Bible. And he went into this uh, in the press conference too. Um, where basically somebody, and it it ended up, I think there was a little bit of confusion because he was kind of saying it came directly from the website Bro Bible. They actually just aggregated it. It came from Mm -hmm. a message board. Um, And basically it's accusing Texas A&M of paying close to $30 million uh, via NIL deals through boosters and stuff uh, for that class. Uh, People are citing the fact that Texas A&M has never had the number one class. Uh, they're typically not even in the top five, although they do recruit very well usually. But mm-hmm. as we all know, there's kind of that extra level once you get up uh, with like the Alabamas, the top three. So he was taking issue with the fact that people were saying that the only reason Texas A&M had a good class was because they paid them. 
Um, I can go into my thoughts on that. I don't know, Greg, how you wanted to, <laughs> how you wanted to structure that. If you wanted to share your thoughts first, uh, whatever works. But I think that's what he was trying to say. That's the general gist of the argument. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into it. I, man, it's it's tough. Um, first of all, it was an all time epic rant. I will definitely link that um, in the show notes um, for you guys to be able to check out yourself. Um, I was actually, I was. It was funny when it happened. I was at Memorial Stadium for Nebraska, like we had just gotten done with Scott Frost press conference, um, and then I just kept seeing quotes from this. I just kept seeing it, kept seeing it, and so we're all kind of huddled up watching the rant, like after it got done, um, because it really was an all-timer the problem with that is my initial thought is that it's one of those is Jimbo protesting too much here that was really my initial thought I get it that he wants to say that you know there's no 30 million dollar fund it wasn't you know anything like that um and I understand why he would have to want to say that I do I do think that there's a little bit too and I would I would be mad too I understand in his situation that listen Texas A&M is is not like you said they're not Alabama um they don't recruit like Ohio State like in in USC when they're going really good like so Georgia um currently like they don't they're not in that level but they do recruit very well it's just that is a leap to go from where they were not coming off necessarily like they didn't come off an SEC championship they didn't come off a college football playoff appearance to just make that jump and it to just so happen that that jump happened when you could really lean into NIL it's a little suspicious like I don't know that it quite raises to the level of um, remember when Ole Miss had that class that it turns out that they cheated um, to get that class (laughs) like it's a little bit like that Um, and so that's you know those are kind of my initial thoughts on it but it's just a it's a layered situation kind of wrapped in this very funny rant. Yeah no I I agree with everything that you just said I think what was funniest to me was the fact that well a I will say I I get why he took issue especially with 30 million dollars that's a lot of money and we're talking about an industry where like millions of dollars are just like handed off like it's nothing but like I think it was Andy Staples from the athletic wrote like the jag the Jacksonville Jaguars last year signed what was the most expensive NFL draft class and it was 22 million dollars so like 30 million dollars like they're not paying high school kids 30 million dollars um do I think that there was money involved absolutely but at the same time to my point about it being the funniest part is that Jimbo is sitting here protesting something that is absolutely allowed (laughs) and I get (laughs) and I get I get again it like if you're the if you're the head coach and you just signed this amazing this amazing class of recruits and everyone's just like oh you just paid them like obviously you're not going to sit there and be like yep we just paid them like we have nothing else here at Texas A&M so I get why he went on the rant of like have you been to a game here? Um, he he went into like just every, everything else good about the university, I guess. Right. I get why he did that. But also it's like, you're, li- you're literally protesting something that's allowed. Like we knew that when NIL was going to go through that boosters were going to be um, paying these kids. Like it's been happening forever. It's just been under the table, which Fisher cited yeah. in this rant, or actually I think he said it on Feinbaum like a month or two ago um, that like this has been happening. It's just allowed now. So it's like, he's yelling about something they're allowed to do um again i'm not saying just like lean into it and be like yep we just paid him um but like it's not it's not as he's acting like he's been like seriously wronged i'm like no like you're allowed to you're allowed to do that and we can get into the argument of whether or not that's good for college football that's a whole separate thing and fan bases have different amounts of 
boosters have different amounts of money. The Texas A&M boosters are well known for having a lot of money, which is fine. But um, yeah, I think that was that was kind of my issue was I was like, what are you even yelling about? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I could also go into my, uh, I could take issue with his Notre Dame comment. If, what, if that's allowed. Wait, which was the, that's totally loud. What, what, I now there was so much there. What was, what was the Notre Dame comment? Sure. Yeah. So he called out two specific schools, Alabama, Notre Dame. The Notre Dame comment was that there was a uh, VP of athletics that tweeted basically bumping this bro Bible post, which I will say, so I, I don't like, I, I would not have done that. I, I don't love that. But that being said, he then went into like, oh, Notre Dame is supposed to be a reputable like institution, like some like some class you have over there at Notre Dame. And it was kind of like, really, like that's the school you're going to take issue with, like cheating over. Like, I mean, and granted, I'm a I'm a Notre Dame person, but like I think in general, people would agree like Notre Dame runs a relatively clean operation when it comes to college football. They are not the only ones that do that. They are not the most clean, whatever, like. I, I don't know. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that I'm not privy to, but like for him to take a shot, like that was his chosen school of like, Oh my God, like Notre Dame, like so morally unsound. I was like, seriously. And then his issue with Alabama was that, which I kind of agreed with this a little bit. He was saying over the summer when Nick Saban came out, I forget, I think it was at his media day um, press conferences, like over the summer, but it could have been on, on a show. Anyways, it was in like August. He came out and said that the Alabama quarterback, Bryce Young was making seven figures, basically what had become a millionaire before even starting a game at Alabama. And that was kind of championed as like, Oh, this is so cool. Like uh, players are finally getting what they deserve. And Fisher basically came out and said like, why was it celebrated when Alabama did it? But now if we're going to do it, it's frowned upon, which I, I kind of hear. Um, again, it, it's allowed. Bryce Young's allowed to make a million dollars just as uh, I was going to say Harold Perkins, but he flipped to LSU, just as any of those A&M <laughs> recruits are allowed to. So I kind of got his point there. But again, I just think in general, it sounded like an angry old man, like screaming into the abyss about something that was unwarranted in my humble opinion. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I kind of roll with you on that because on, on one hand, I understand again, why he would be upset about like the particular figure that was thrown out sure. and, and sure. the insinuation that, you know, A&M doesn't have anything to offer. They just got to obviously pay these kids. Like I do, I understand why a college football coach would be really upset about that, especially one that is at a school that has some like actual tradition and history and can, sure. and has had access to good recruiting in the past. I don't like want to well I'll name a school if it was Colorado like this would be like it would be different right like you'd be like sure obviously they paid to get these guys um you know I guess I should say no disrespect to Colorado but whatever no but if it was if it was a perennial like school that was recruiting at number 35 and ended up at one we'd all seriously be like that is not (laughs) how did this happen right absolutely and so and so I get that um I think that the the one of the layers and subplots to all of this that I just found really interesting um, is within the SEC and the, I guess, uh, like willingness of some of these coaches to kind of go there in public when it comes to commenting on what's happening at other schools. And so I think that him being upset at, at Nick Saban for kind of what he said after, you know, being his player being celebrated and Bryce Young for the seven figure deal, the Lane Kiffin aspect of this, because there there always has to be a Lane Kiffin component to everything. Right. Always. Um, and so like he came out and said stuff. And so like, I, I get that. Um, and I think that that's just been kind of really, cause I think, 
honestly, what I think that that's going to lead to is Fisher's the last part of the quote that we talked about, about him basically saying, hey, I know where the bodies are buried. Like that portion of it, I think that it could lead to some real like snitch behavior out here if we end up in a situation where coaches keep pushing each other on these things. Like, I I think that that's an interesting subplot, but at the same time, I don't know if one coach would want to go tell to the NCAA because a nothing really happens in these situations anymore. And B, if you tell on someone else, they got to come look at what you're doing too. So I don't know if that would be the wisest decision anyway. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. It's um, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not gonna Texas A&M. I, I'm sure has has some has some bodies buried there. And again, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. saying like most schools do. Yeah. Even the, I mean, and we can argue about the stupidity of some of these NCAA rules. My my personal favorite is that coaches can't like take selfies with recruits at certain times. And like Notre Dame got fined with that. Um, I think I think it was Florida State too. Like they, they, anyways, some of them are really dumb, and I get that. But like everybody has them, and so I think also it's a way for Fisher to maybe deflect a little bit and just be like, Oh, like you should go look over there whatever. And I, I love when the coaches say like, you don't want to know what I know. And it's like, no, we all want to know. Oh, like, no, we do. We I, do. I secretly <laughs> kind of want to know, but yeah. to your point, you're right. It's like, if you, and he did, he didn't name Lane Kiffin in this speech. I don't think, but um, I don't think so. it's like everybody, everybody knew that's kind of who he was taking a shot at because Kiffin likes to poke and publicly poke all the time. Um, but it's kind of like, if, if you're going to do that, like, don't think Lane Kiffin's above like telling back on you by any means. Anyways, but yeah. Yeah. And I think that too, and his, because his comment about, you know, people being mad about the transfer portal and all of that, which is also another part of this, like as we kind of, and I, excuse me, I feel like I've talked a lot and I'm sure you have too here recently about just kind of the changing landscape in college football. NIL obviously is a big portion of that. Another huge portion of that is um, the transfer portal. And that has been, you know, kind of wild to see, Certain coaches, even ones that are using the transfer portal to the full advantage, then turn around and say that it's not so great. Um, And Lane Kiffin was one of them. I just saw a thing where Lincoln Riley, he didn't like put down the portal, but they obviously benefited in a huge way from both the portal and NIL um, this offseason. And then he said, hey, this is not going to be the way that we want to build the program um, and do things moving forward. Like we want to balance that out more with more high school recruits. Um, So to see coaches like openly say like, hey, the portal isn't so great. Oh, but we're going to use it all the time. um, It's just been kind of a weird thing to see too. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And yeah, Kiffin and Riley are kind of the two big examples of that from the last month or so. And I think Riley, what kind of irked me about Riley's comment was he was saying, it's really hard for me to manage my roster when people are going in and out. But he basically left Oklahoma in the middle of the night and still, I believe, is claiming that um, it that deal happened overnight. There's no way that deal happened overnight. That's not how this works. Um but yeah, he was he was saying that Lane Kiffin said the same thing. And I guess Lane Kiffin, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but Lane Kiffin's primary polling from the portal, especially with like Jackson Dart, the biggest name, the quarterback from USC, mm-hmm. has been after the season. And his initial gripe was during bowl prep that he was having kids go on visits to other schools and basically cu- and say they were leaving, come back and be like, wait, no, I'm staying. I want to play in the bowl, which – I think I that would be frustrating. And I think from like a college athlete standpoint too, it's like if you're the 
second string right tackle, or, or that's probably a bad example because they cycle linemen in and out. But if you're, if you're a second string player that typically doesn't get a lot of playing time or whatever, you're going to get more time because so-and-so said they're transferring. You come in, you practice for the sugar bowl for two weeks. You're excited. It's your big shot. And then someone comes back and says, never mind, I'm staying. Like I'd be probably kind of mad. And I don't know if the answer to that, I don't know. I don't know what the like, not legal because none of this is like a really a law, a legal issue, but like the rules in the NCAA, I don't know like what the remedy is for that necessarily, but it, it just, it doesn't sit well with me from kind of like a moral, like screwing your teammates over sort of deal. And I, I do get why it's, it's difficult. I do get why it's difficult to manage a roster. If like you're preparing for a game in three weeks and you have no idea who's going to be playing quarterback. I get that. But to your point, it's ironic that the two um, biggest transfer classes for this upcoming cycle are USC and Ole Miss. And those are the two ringing examples of the people that are complaining about it. So I think if you, if you eliminate who is saying it and you just take the, what they're saying um, like by itself, I, I don't disagree. And I do think the transfer portal needs to be regulated in some way because it's a mess, but it's, it's ironic given who's saying it. Yeah, especially considering Lane Kiffin, they put out a graphic. I don't think it was the same day, but it was very close within about how like how good their transfer portal class was. Um, and I do, totally, yeah. and I totally understand like <laughs> going through bowl prep and having guys go on visits. And it, it's weird because like Nebraska um, has also been a team that has heavily used the transfer portal this offseason. Yeah. Ten guys came in um, on scholarship sure. for the transfer portal. So we've had these like a wide range of situations as those guys have kind of come on visits and stuff. And I think it, it was Hunter Anthony, the offensive lineman from Oak, well, that used to be at Oklahoma State, now at Nebraska. During their bowl prep, was that the Fiesta Bowl? I forget which. Yeah, they played Notre Dame. Yeah, okay, so they, there we go. Yep. So, like, during that bowl prep, he came on his official visit to Nebraska, but he had had, um, it was also graduation day. It's why I don't, I'll never forget it because it was graduation day for Oklahoma State as well. And he had to kind of make a decision on whether yeah. on which thing to attend. Uh, but he had to have the permission of Mike Gundy. And he talked so much about how Gundy was really like nice about the whole situation and let him do it. Um, he ended up playing some in the bowl game and getting a little mm -hmm. run. Um, and so, but as a coach, that would frustrate me. Like I, I understand like how that goes. I I don't know. It, it, the part of the problem, and it seems to always come back to this, honestly, with the NCAA, is that they just have not, like, adjusted rules quickly enough for what's happening. And that's, like, no surprise to anyone. But there almost needs to be, like, transfer windows. But, like, we can do a whole pod on, like, how, yeah. like, they could actually remedy that. But, they, yeah, something has to kind of change with that. Um, because that portion of it, of guys, like, trying to figure it out during bowl prep it, is hard on everybody. Sure. Yeah. Like some sort of NFL free agency, like maybe you have a month, uh, maybe this month of February and then after spring practice, it's the month of May or whatever. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what it is, but yeah, this idea. And I also, I understand the counter argument where it's like, well, coaches can leave whenever they want. Like in theory, next September, if Nick Saban retires and Dabo Sweeney wants to leave immediately for Clemson, aside from a buyout, which effectively doesn't mean anything anymore because they get paid. But like, there's nothing technically stopping Dabo Sweeney from going to Alabama, right? right. So it's like, why would you limit the player when you don't limit the coach? And I kind of get that argument, although I, I don't think they're totally the same thing. But at the same time, it's it's currently yeah it's, it's completely out of control it's really hard to manage your roster um it's yeah I, that's I, i'm being i'm being a little redundant here but yeah i think i think something needs to be done i don't know exactly what it is and i think that the ncaa um really 
failed shockingly on um on figuring it out by punting the issue down the road and then being like wait a minute it's a it's a mess and it's like well yeah because you put it off for 20 years or however long um but yeah i i I think something needs to be done that's kind of one of my off-season um items is to read more about what potentially could be done how other leagues do it stuff like that to figure out what the best uh solution might be yeah, that would be that'll be really interesting. And you know, one of the the other teams um, that has been <laughs> right, wrong, or indifferent has been in the middle of a lot of different things in the off season, whether it's their fault or not, is Notre Dame, the team that you cover. Um, yes. And I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of things um, going sure. around there because, like, I guess when. I guess, when did you go behind the curtain fully? When did you kind of come into, like, covering Notre Dame? So, formally covering Notre Dame, actually, uh, I'll go back really far. So, I actually grew up a Notre Dame fan. Okay. Um, my my dad went to Notre Dame. I did not, but uh, grew up in, an, in a Notre Dame family and has an extended family um, that went there, currently goes there as well. And so I, my, my background to getting here, I actually, so I went to undergrad for political science and actually worked in the government for two years um, in, in healthcare doing like communication stuff. And I liked the communications aspect, like working with journalists and stuff, but I hated politics. I learned. So um, a little over a year, or I guess now almost two years ago, um, I basically was like, all right, I want to do something else. I want to do something in communications, but what, like, what's the topic that I want to cover? had always been a massive sports fan, um, ended up going to grad school for that. And then my, I finished that in September. So my first job, technically my first job in sports, um, that was unrelated to school stuff was, um, I started it on three on the national news desk. And so we covered every single team. So I did a little bit of Notre Dame stuff there. Um, my bosses would sometimes give, like if I was available, just let, let me write certain Notre Dame things just as they did with anybody. We had like an Oklahoma state guy who would do Oklahoma state just because you, you kind of know the team and you can give the context without any research. So you can do it pretty quickly. Um, and so was, was covering Notre Dame there, but not from this angle, I guess. And then I started in with blue and gold illustrated, which is on three's Notre Dame site two weeks ago. So I'm very new to the actual Notre Dame beat, but my familiarity with, Notre Dame football goes back to as ever since I can remember. Okay. So then, so, and the reason I ask is one, because it's interesting to find out uh, people's sure. backgrounds too, um, because <laughs> you've seen the totality of the Brian Kelly experience there. Yes, I have. So then, yeah. <laughs> see, um, the, people cannot, the people can't see that look that you gave. I can. That's funny. Um, what, so then what was your level of surprise when, the LSU thing kind of came about? Um, It was very high. So as I kind of think with everybody. So, I mean, there had been, there had been rumors and this happened uh, particularly with the NFL throughout Brian Kelly's tenure. He took over uh, for the 23rd season. And after the national championship appearance in 2012, there were NFL rumors about him going to the, I believe it was the Eagles. Um, and so there, there have been these little rumors, but he's never acted on them. And he always gives that typical, like, I'm locked in at Notre Dame, just as kind of any coach does usually, except for Jim Harbaugh, which we can get to in a minute. <laughs> um, and then this year in particular, it was, will Brian Kelly go to USC? Like, there, there had been talk, but I don't think, at least from people that I spoke to in the Notre Dame circle, nobody really actually believed he was going to do it. Because it's kind of like, 
if you think if you name top if you name 10 programs in college football that are kind of like critical to the fabric of college football I think you'd be hard-pressed to omit Notre Dame from that 10 and so it's kind of like what is a move up you know like right. I mean yeah obviously Alabama is a better football program than Notre Dame but like Brian Kelly's not going to Alabama Nick Saban's there so it's kind of like like USC seemed almost like a step down, not in terms of like the history of the program, but just because Notre Dame's a healthier program than USC is Absolutely. objectively speaking. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, why would he leave? He has this, he has this um, good spot. No, he's not winning titles, but he's in that second level for sure. And then so when the LSU rumors started circulating, I remember the first I heard of it was that so he left on a Monday night. The first I heard of it was Monday at around 3 p.m. when somebody I know who writes a, a newsletter for Notre Dame sent me a DM on Twitter and kind of jokingly was like, haha, like there's a little too much um, like backing to this LSU rumor that I like. And I was like, ah, yeah, like whatever, like it's never going to happen. Well, next two hours, I start getting more of them from DMs from people, my my parents texting me like, so like, is this happening? And people being like, there's no way. And I was kind of like, I know, I kind of feel like there's no way, right? Um, then it, again, started to snowball. I remember I went to the gym that evening and I put my phone down for like 30 minutes. So I was like, I just need to put it down, picked it back up. And two minutes before it was like, Brian Kelly's going to LSU. And I was like, Oh my God. And like, so it, it all literally happened in like a four hour window where it was Monday at noon. It was like, okay, Brian Kelly's the head coach. Notre Dame has a really good recruiting class. Um, they just went 11 and one, uh, one double digit games for the fifth season in a row, which is a school record program record. And then by 7 p.m., there's no head coach. So <laughs> it was it was a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. So like, and that's the thing is the this one was different. Um, and then say like the like what then most any of these because especially at a high level on these teams that are big deals, like it usually builds for a while, right? Like it it yeah. generally is not like just so out of nowhere. Um, and we ended up having two of them um in the same cycle yeah. with the Lincoln Riley thing as well. Um, and so it, it was just fascinating to see all of that play out. Um, and it's funny that you say about like when the any rumors with Brian Kelly first kind of started at least for college and, and honestly the same thing went for late for Lincoln Riley is that you're like well where are they going to go that actually is a step up and especially because both of those programs respectively Notre Dame and Oklahoma were in such good spots overall that right. you really want to go like start this over somewhere else it was always kind of the thing honestly with why like I didn't ever think that Nick Saban was going to leave Alabama for Texas um, because why would you you could build them into that but there's no guarantee and that's going to be hard. Um, sure. And so, you know, why would you do it? And so the Brian Kelly thing was just really, it was fascinating. And then it just like, it happened like that. And then it was like, okay, is this a good, like, is this good? Like, is this going to be a good fit? So that's my next portion that I wanted to kind of get to with you is that what were your first thoughts or I guess your thoughts now on whether or not that actually is a fit that should work between him and LSU? So my initial thought 
was this is never going to work because Brian Kelly, and this has since been put on display multiple times. Brian Kelly is from the Northeast. He's the most non-Southern man in mm. like college football. I'm kind of joking when I say that, but also I'm serious. Um, and we saw that with the accent issues. Oh, um, and his family, which I could, his family. Yeah, his family. <laughs> um, so initially I was like, the culture, the cultural fit just does not work. His coaching jobs prior to Notre Dame, he was at Cincinnati. He was at Central Michigan. Um, he was at a smaller D2 school in Michigan, I believe. Um, he's from Massachusetts. Like it, it's totally different. Then as I started listening and reading about it, you get the, um, you get the, the opinion that if you win, nobody cares where you're from. Right. And uh, you've seen, you've seen guys do that. I know often like, you listen to an SEC coach talk and they have a Southern accent. You listen mm-hmm. to a Pac-12 coach talk. They often don't have a Southern accent. Like there is a little bit of that regionality oh, yeah. um, d- partly because where you grow up often, that's kind of where you get your first job because you're familiar with the area that adds to your resume, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But there are also examples where you don't need to be from that place to have success. Nick Saban is from West Virginia, which is, I, there's there's similarities to the south but it's very different than alabama they occupy um, a weird space west virginia does they do they yeah. do <laughs> yeah they do exactly um or like here's a basketball example like bruce pearl is from massachusetts and now he's coaching at auburn and they're the number one right. team in the country so it's not necessary i think that brian kelly is a very good football coach um he has proven that he has every program that he has coached he has taken to a new level um, I guess technically with Notre Dame, he didn't win a national championship, but in terms of like a new level of consistency that hasn't been reached in 30 years, which for a lot of Notre Dame fans kind of is a new level, you know? Right. Um, I think he's working, obviously LSU is at a massive advantage in the sense that they're the only power five football program in Louisiana. So you're not competing with, um, I mean, you're, you're competing with Alabama and Georgia, but you always have, we're the only, like you want to play in your home state, like come to LSU. At Notre Dame, Indiana's not a fertile recruiting ground. Um, I wrote a, an article the other day about how Notre Dame signed 21 kids in their 2022 class. They're from 17 different states. Mm-hmm. So you're at a, Notre Dame's at a disadvantage that he doesn't have at LSU in the sense that he has to recruit nationally or had to recruit nationally at Notre Dame, and now he doesn't. Um, it's kind of hard to mess up LSU in that way because you're in such a good place. Um, you have a lot of money. You have the backing of the AD in, in general. Um, that's a whole other like rabbit hole that you could go down. But in general, you have the backing of the um, backing of the AD. You don't have as many like rules, admission standards, whatever. That I think Brian Kelly definitely was getting tired of at Notre Dame, from what I've heard. Um, not not tired of, and not not in the sense that he doesn't believe that you should have standards in an athletic program department, but just like Notre Dame has rules that other people just don't. Yeah. You're not don't have have when it comes to, to the, yeah. when it comes <laughs> to, I mean, it's, it's, and it goes beyond admissions too. Like um, they, they don't have co-ed dorms. Like there are rules about who you can have in and out of your dorm after certain hours, you have to live on campus for a certain number of years with like certain people. There's no Greek life. Like they're, they're just like things that some that is, that are important to some kids. Like you can't have at Notre Dame and you eliminated those barriers at LSU. So mm. I think he's going to do well. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer. I think he's going to do pretty well. He's definitely in a hole because Alabama and Texas A&M are recruiting insanely. Obviously, Georgia is too. They wouldn't have to play Georgia every year because they're in the East. But if you're going to win the SEC, if Georgia's good, your path goes through Atlanta and you're going to have to play Georgia. Um, So I think it's going to take a while. I think – I don't know that he's going to win a national championship um, just because I don't – 
I think SCC fans are also, as we saw with Ed Ordron, they're very quick to turn on you. I don't know how long he's going to get to build up this program. And I just think that Alabama and Georgia are too strong right now for him to make an immediate impact. Um, watch maybe proven wrong. And he wins the title in two years. I wouldn't, that wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world, but I think he's going to do pretty well. Um, I, I, I don't know about overcoming that barrier, but I guess, I guess we'll see. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. <laughs> Fine. It'll be interesting to see if it starts slower than LSU people want how much time he gets and we see this all over the place especially as we kind of started off talking about him being kind of an outsider and him being someone that you would not stereotypically think of as someone that would be coaching in the south let alone at lsu like it that could go really quickly and and part of that is is man if they turned on ed orgeron and i know that there were a lot of different things happening um with with ed um but if they can turn on him and push him out they'll do it to anybody. And yeah. I think the, the the last three coaches at LSU have won national championships. So it wouldn't be yep. crazy that he would win when you just have such good access to players. Like the players down there are just so good in the state. Yeah. Um, as, as Nebraska is kind of finding out with like Mickey Joseph coming from that staff, coming back yeah. to Nebraska and like trying to recruit um, those players up here. Like I, it's wild to see every single time. And I've written this before every time, like, Hey, Nebraska has just offered this kid from Louisiana. He's like a 2023 kid. Well, now we're in 2023, but this was happening before sure. like the 2023 kid. Um, and I'll go, well, okay, let me go look him up. Maybe he's under the radar. No, there is no under the radar. Like those kids already all have at least like 15 scholarship offers. Um, yeah. Like major places throughout the country and throughout the South. Right. So it's just like the talent down there is just so good um, that it is really hard to not stumble into winning eight or nine games a year. Um, but eight or nine games a year is not what they hired him for. It's not what they're paying him that amount of money for. Um, exactly. So we'll see. We'll kind of see how that goes. Exactly. No, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, eight or not, winning nine games is not success at LSU. So no, which sounds so bad, yeah. but it is what it, oh, it, it is. Oh, like, I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's just, it, it's something, but, it, but that only is honestly only getting worse um, with yes. between coach salaries, the amount of coach turnover and expectations, and then the ability to be able to kind of flip your roster now um, yeah. that actually just makes that worse. Right. Because yes. now no. you'd be like, Hey, it shouldn't, Brian, it shouldn't take you, you know, five years to build this thing up because you can go and get guys from the transfer portal. And they did. And then you can also go and flip, you know, Harold Perkins and all of these guys and like try and figure it out. Um, and so it just, it's just a really fascinating like at crossroads in college football of where things sure. are going and what's happening. Like, I love it. Like it doesn't matter to me either way. Like I'm never going to be the person that like rails against like change and like what's happening. Sure. Um, I just think you got to figure it out. Um, yeah. <laughs> keep it rolling. Yeah. Like I largely agree. Yeah. About it. Yeah. Um, all right. Now every week we end the show with, with my favorite segment uh, called put them on blast, where we basically put someone on blast for something that they did or said, put them on blast. Um, as is generally tradition on the show, I'm going to let the guests go first. So Ashton, uh, who are you uh, putting on blast this week? So uh, for, for you, for a Big Ten uh, writer, I'm going to put the entire Michigan football program on blast. Um, so starting with Jim Harbaugh, obviously he had been looking around at the NFL, had interviewed with the Vikings. There is a rumor circulating. I don't know how true it is, but there's rumors circulating that basically he thought the job was his. And so the interview didn't go super well. Didn't end up with the job. Came back. 
Um, his defensive coordinator, um, Mike McDonald, is go- has gone back to the Ravens. Why that is, I think, exactly still remains a little unclear, given that McDonald came to Michigan this year from the Ravens, who are obviously coached by Jim's brother, John. Whether or not he was a loner to kind of uh, revive the Michigan program, he did his job, obviously, because uh, they made the playoff, and now he's going back. If that was always the plan, fine. I don't want to look too much into that in terms of like Michigan, like turmoil, why he left. But I think the, what happened yesterday where uh, this is Monday morning. So what happened on Sunday is Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator left for Miami, which seems like a really bizarre move to me for multiple reasons. I think one um, Michigan is a, like in general, a very healthy program right now. We saw maybe they're not winning a national championship, but they're sure better than they were last year. And that was quite the turnaround that Harbaugh did this year. Um, Miami has been, has struggled immensely basically since the early two thousands when they killed everybody. Um, I mean, they've had a couple years where they're making a little noise in November, but it it doesn't really amount to anything other than nine wins. Um, So it's a weird move in that way. I think it came out well. It came out after the fact that Gaddis apparently is not happy with the administration. There were messages that were leaked that um, he, or maybe not leaked, um, the Detroit News had them that uh, basically he had texted his players saying that uh, the last couple of weeks had shown him that the administration did not appreciate him at all, and he would advise them never to be in a situation where they're underappreciated. Which to me, like. That's fine if he feels that way. And I don't know what went on behind the scenes. I, I've heard he's mad he got passed over for the head coaching job. Fine, whatever. Like, maybe you're bitter. But I kind of feel like to drag your players into it and to badmouth their coaching staff and their administration over it just seems like a really bitter and, can I say, like, immature thing to do. Like, if you, again, if you want to be mad and you want to, you want to call your best friend and talk about how you you're mad. You got passed over for the job. Fine. But like to text the entire team or the entire offense or whatever, it was a big group that seems, yeah, very immature to me. Um, and now is bringing up a bunch of like, what's the culture like at Michigan? Like all of that stuff, which just, it, it, you kind of, I feel like if, if you genuinely care, and he said this in his text, like I care about all of you as players, as people, whatever, if you genuinely care to turn around and like, torpedo the program and create this media firestorm that like there's a bunch of controversy going on at Michigan. It just, it seems, it seems wrong to me. So I don't know. Michigan seems, I, it, it's a generally very healthy program and I think they're going to be fine. They signed a very good recruiting class. Um, they're in the mix for a lot of high level 2023 kids. Um, particularly Dante Moore is one who's a, who's a five-star quarterback that um, it seems to be coming down kind of to Michigan and Notre Dame. We'll see what happens there, but I think Michigan's going to be fine, but the last two weeks for Michigan have been a disaster. (laughs) Um, And we'll see what happens. Yeah. And and all of that is very worthy to put a Michigan football on blast. I I don't even know where to begin because I do think the, the Gattis situation is like kind of wild to me because uh, like program culture and like the health around that is so fragile in college football. Like, and it's one of those things that we have seen this here. Um, and we're not, it's not the only place that has seen this. And this goes all sure. the way back to like when Bo Pelini was fired years ago and like had this secret meeting at a high school gym with his players. Um, and then basically badmouthed the administration and things are really never the same for that group of players and the, their administration 
administration, if you talk to some of those guys to this day, they will tell you that they hate that administration based on how they did their coach, right? And that has happened in different ways and different places all over the place. So to even, and he should know that, be a grown-up, to even introduce exactly. that is is really dangerous. Like, it's really tough because you've already got the element here of... I, don't, I would love to be a fly on the wall when Harbaugh had to go back to the team and do that first team meeting and be like, yeah, you know, guys, I definitely flew to Minneapolis to do this interview on National Signing Day. Um, but I realized in my heart on the on the plane that that wasn't the way I wanted to go. Right. And that just wasn't the way that I wanted to go. And I love you guys. And I got to be here. Those guys aren't dumb. Like they're going to know right. that and they can read things just like anyone else can about sure. you know the, the prevailing thought that Harbaugh really thought he was going up there to sign the papers, basically. And then it, yeah. it didn't happen. And so that whole situation is going to be a fascinating subplot for uh, this coming season after Michigan had such a successful year to then sure. be in such turmoil um, and a lot of it's self-inflicted is, yeah. is, is really strange. Like it's gonna, that's going to make it, I like it because what can happen is, is they could band together um, and have another double digit win season, or they could completely tank. And then he ends up looking for a different job next year. Like neither, right. neither situation would surprise me. No, uh, I totally agree. And so who I'm going to go put on blast this week is someone who we've been talking a little bit about uh, throughout the show. Um, and that's Brian Kelly. Like uh, we didn't go there when we were talking about him. And that's, that's great. Um, I was hoping we didn't, so I could save it for this. Um, I, should we call him Brian Kelly or should we call him Puff Daddy? Cause he was all in the videos, <laughs> just like dancing. Um, and so it, it, it's just really, like, I don't like, I understand like more than most and you do too, that you got to do what you got to do to get these recruits like everybody sure. wants to get them um competition is is fierce um to get top level recruits and so i understood when he you know did the dance with five-star quarterback walker howard um totally understood that you got to do it with five-star quarterbacks i understand you have to figure it out walker ended up um sticking with his pledge you know that he was probably never gonna like leave that anyway his dad sure. uh, went there and played quarterback there whatever like it just wasn't gonna happen and yeah. so even with the coaching change and so then Brian Kelly turns around and does it again um, with a tight end who I'm now, Lewis is his last name. I am blanking on his first name. Um, he was from Louisiana. Yeah. yeah what? I said, I, yeah, I forget his first yeah, name. Yeah, like he was from, I know all the other stuff. He was from Louisiana. He had been committed to Cincinnati. Like Nebraska actually offered him um, like right when he was starting to blow up. He ended up coming down between Alabama and LSU. Um, while he was on his official visit to LSU, you've seen the video by now. Brian Kelly danced with him on the little circular stage thing. They were very close. It was very uncomfortable. Brian Kelly's dance moves were very bad. Um, there were actually other, because that video was so bad, like people... I, I guess didn't notice that there are other ones of him just kind of looking like in a lobby or something, just like dancing yes. with different recruits. <laughs> like that happened too. Um, but the kicker of all of that is that that kid, the tight end, didn't even pick them. And so he picks Alabama on National Signing Day. I really want to know, and I feel like the answer is yes, if Nick Saban used that against Brian Kelly when he did the final pitch about whether or not like he should go to Alabama or LSU. I always envision these talks with Nick Saban going like, you know, there's something about like the things that Alabama can do to you. And then he flashes like his rings. And then that's pretty much like how that goes. Um, yeah. And so uh, Brian Kelly, man, you got to go on blast. Like, I think the thing that I always kind of think about when I see these videos with him 
is just be yourself. Like, I don't like it, it just comes off as fake the same way as my family came off fake when he did that at the um, pep rally. So just be yourself. You've got access to tons of talent down there. Like that part of it will work itself out. It will not work out if these guys think you're fake. Um, and so j- just, just pull it back a little bit, please, for all of our sakes. But in a way, it's very entertaining to see it happen. Yeah, entertaining is a word. I think as somebody <laughs> who defended Brian Kelly for the last 10 years, I'm really eating those words now. But um, I my concern is after the Walker Howard one, why did nobody on the LSU, like media, communications, whatever staff, be like, we're not going to do that again? Because it can't, it doesn't help. Like, I, I want to know. And obviously, when you're recording these, you're also not recording them live. So somebody recorded that, edited it, and thought, this is yeah. a good idea. I'm going to put this out. And I would just like to know who that person is and why they are doing this. When it comes to like the dancing in the lobby or whatever that he was doing, like, that like somebody like took like covertly on their phone yeah you can tell that because it's yeah 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 um but like these staged ones that are being edited by the athletic department i'm like who is watching these and thinks this is a good idea and like did you think it's funny like i i just i don't know i they're so painful i had the night that the um i just looked up his name it's danny lewis the tight end um the night that that happened i think i had probably 25 people dm me or text me be like have you seen this and i literally tweeted and i was like please stop sending me this video like i cannot watch it anymore like i have seen it i do not need to see it again i do not want to answer your text about it do not send it to me so i don't know i hope for kind of my sake and um the fact that i defended him for so long and now i'm having people be like why do you defend him i hope there i hope there's no more of this but it is kind of funny and it does provide um some good like commiserating like fodder for the Notre Dame fan base so yeah everybody can band together against those videos like in that bad yep. dancing like we can everybody can get with that no matter how you feel about the situation exactly um, <laughs> so that's gonna do it for the show this week uh subscribe to the podcast everywhere you listen to them rate us and leave us a five-star review if you only leave four I'm inclined to think you're a hater and nobody wants that uh make sure you're checking out the other podcasts on the Hill Varsity Network the Mind Your Own Podcast Varsity Club Podcast which will be back soon uh, the Rascal Preps post game show and the Hail Varsity radio show. You can also check out the Hail Varsity YouTube page. I am back on there with another recruiting question video of the week. And you can find us on Twitter at GregSmithHD and at AshtonPollard7. We'll catch you next time. A Huda Media Production.